That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back. I expect I'll be in a slightly better mood today than last week, but only slightly. <laughs> let's let's be honest about it and be truthful to who I am. It'll be slightly more tolerable than last week. Okay. So welcome in. Welcome back. This is a victory edition of the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast Channel. Victory edition by the slimmest of margins that should not have been necessary that's being over-celebrated. We'll get to it. However, thank you for joining me and not uh, committing yourself to a mental institution after hearing me after last week. So thank you for coming back. Let's get the propers out of the way. This show's brought to you by... Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network. You can find me on YouTube at Always Irish, Twitter at JKZND4, or type in Always Irish. You can find me there as well. Twitter, uh, tw- I already mentioned Twitter, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all that stuff. Like, subscribe, share, write mean comments underneath it. John, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. I don't care what you do, I just like the interaction. Even when it's Michigan people, that's what college football is about. They're giving me all sorts of hell and it's justified. I have to take it. I have to just take it. And if if it was the other way around, I'd be giving them hell and they just have to take it. So you, you, you got to take, you just have to take your losses. And I continue to do so because it's the right thing to do. There's nothing to say back to these people. So pile it on, bring it. So, all right, let, let's, here's, here's the deal. This, 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 I feel like we're teetering here. I, I just, I have this uncomfortable feeling since this Michigan thing that we're, we're, we're teetering here on the verge of what I don't know, but I just have this like feeling inside me. We're just kind of like, Teetering and and I don't I it's making me uncomfortable and and there's there's a lot to dissect and and so this show is it's going to be a little different because yeah we're going to talk about Virginia Tech and what happened and and all this kind of stuff we're we're going to cover that um, but there's also some things I feel like I need to go back to Michigan week to wrap up and tie a bow around. There's some loose ends and some things that that happened after the show was posted last week that I got to discuss, and and I just do. So I know none of us want to revisit that, but I think there were some major, major lessons learned from what happened in Ann Arbor that we need to talk about. And I wouldn't be doing my job for you guys if I just said, this sucks and it hurts to talk about, so I'm just going to brush over it. I I can't do that in good faith to you guys. So there's a few things that I want to wrap up about the Michigan week. And, and when we get to the back end of the show, I'll explain more my thought process and what I want to work through with you guys. Because there's some stuff that's bothering me that we need to we need to go over. And and so we're going to do that. Um and, and so I, we'll get to that when we get to it. And we are going to do an Always Annoyed because I just need something to, to yell at that's not football. So we are going to have an Always Annoyed segment. So let's start with this week, okay? Here, here's the thing. Obviously, 
any win, as ugly as it is by the slimmest of margins, is better than discussing any loss by the football team and program you love and follow, right? Like, I really shouldn't have to say that. I'm finding it a lot easier to write and talk about some of the shortcomings of this program and this particular team after a win than a loss. And so maybe everybody will be more open to going over some of this stuff after we won the game. However, and, and by the way, 16 in a row at home, that's a good streak to keep continuing. The 30 and under point streak given up by the defense should also still be intact. I don't know what happened in Michigan. It, it, it looked like it was the first time we've ever played football before. I don't understand it, but I'm not going to make this whole show Michigan. So that streak should still be alive and isn't, but at least you still have the 16 at home streak and, and whatever. So that's obviously a good thing. The big thing this week was you couldn't let Michigan beat you twice, you know, and, and having a layoff, a hangover, you know, what everybody's depressed, what, whatever it may be. That was the big thing you had to, to prevent. And you did it in the ugliest of ways and the slimmest of margins. And I got issues with some of the way it was handled and the way it's being talked about. Um, and and so, so we're going to get into that. So obviously that's the first thing. It's just a lot better to talk about this stuff after a win, no matter what. So, so I'm in a better mood to, to address some of these issues. The other thing is, uh, I do want to say, I got to meet a ton of uh, Always Irish listeners at the game Saturday. If you were on Twitter, you knew I was at the game. I met up with a bunch of people to hand out koozies. You know, talk to them about the team and the game and, and everything. And so it was absolutely wonderful meeting uh, probably a couple dozen people at the game. And, and uh, just to meet people, put a face to the name you see on Twitter and interact with people, give them their koozies. So that was fun. It's really nice to start feeling more at home and comfortable when I go to campus. I know there's going to be people there I know that I can connect with. And so it was wonderful meeting all of you that are listening. It was great. The, the other thing is, and, and this is just me personally, um, we had gotten tickets for the Virginia Tech game a few weeks ago, but before Michigan, obviously, and then Michigan happens, and I was in a very dark place, and I still am, and I still will be. That's not going away. That's not the kind of loss that just washes away, and next year you forget about it. It isn't. That's not what that was. This was bigger than one loss. And we're going to cover why on the back end of this show. However, I was not in a very good mood, not in a good place. Call me a jerk, but I wasn't that excited to go back to, to watch a Notre Dame game after that, right after that. Okay, total no-show performance. Kind of hard for me to have my spirits high. Sorry, it just was. That being said, I'm really glad I went. It was cleansing in a way. You get on campus and the place kind of has a way of soothing your soul a little bit. And as frustrated and angry as I was pulling in that parking lot, I something about the place just calms me, soothes my soul, <clears throat> refreshes me, energizes me, makes me remember the spirit that's there behind all this. And so I'm really, really glad my family and I went this week. Um, and, and it just wasn't easy and I wasn't 
in the best of spirits, to be honest. And um, so getting to campus for me was good. It, it did kind of soothe me a little bit, um, a little bit, <laughs> just a little. And so it was a little unique for me because being at the game, I did not live tweet. I wasn't doing all that because I was just trying to soak in the game for what it was being there in front of it live. Um, and, and so I was wondering when we were driving back, uh, heading back towards Chicago, leaving after the game. And I was wondering when we were driving what the social media and the Twitter consensus would be about this Virginia Tech game and ending. And I was honestly, genuinely wondering what people were going to say. And I have to admit, maybe this is just my circle of Twitter, and that's why it makes sense to me, because the people who follow me can tolerate me and know my standards and views on this program. But I felt like the consensus was pretty reasonable. The consensus was, yeah, we're glad and lucky we didn't lose the game. And the final drive was awesome and exciting, and we made plays, and Ian Book did some good things and won the game for us. However, however, it is perfectly okay to be relieved and happy your team won, and at the same exact time, know in your mind, things are not running smoothly right now, especially offensively. There are issues all over the place. And so it's a very healthy place to be in when you could be relieved and happy your team won and at the same time criticize them and ask tough questions and want them to be better. Both of those things could be true at the same time. And that's one thing I struggle with. There's a certain segment of people in this fan base who think that as long as you won a game, you can't criticize anything or question anything or ask for more efficiency or anything. And I don't understand that. I don't think that's how you get better. Like, like you don't, you just don't live that way. So I I do I do feel like like most people were in that camp. Yeah, whoo. You know, brush the sweat off your forehead. We escape with that one, but there are still problems here. And they don't seem to be getting better. Mostly on the offensive side of the ball. And I'll be honest, Brian Kelly's getting on my last nerve. He's getting on my last nerve, and the bought and paid for media that follows him daily are getting on my last nerves. They just are. The more I hear any of the questions and answers from any of these press conferences from Michigan on through pre-Virginia Tech to after Virginia Tech, they're all getting on my nerves. And this is exactly one of the reasons I started this show, was so somebody could tell the truth, because none of these people are. None of these people are. And I got a problem with that. We're going to cover that on the back end as well. Um, and, and the other thing, I, here's, here's, here's a mentality a certain segment of Notre Dame fans have that I can't relate to and I don't understand. I was leaving the stadium and I'm hearing people saying, oh, what a great game as we're leaving Notre Dame fans. What a great game. We, you know... I don't understand that. Like, I, I, I just, I don't understand it. Bef after the game and, and on social media and, and the radio broadcast, listening on the way home, the post-game show, I know they're bought and paid for too, so you can't expect the truth, but 
this was a great game and a season-saving game. These are the things people are saying. None of that makes any sense to me whatsoever. Zero percent. People, oh, what a great game. I don't understand that. A great game to me against Virginia Tech would have, me would have meant not throwing two interceptions at or near the goal line, not fumbling on the one-inch line, and not missing a field goal, scoring 24 more points and blowing this team out when you're a 17.5-point favorite at home. That would have been a great game. Just because the end of the game was exciting and we came out on top does not make it a great game. It was sloppy. A lot of these offensive problems we're still seeing. Just because it was exciting at the end and we won doesn't make it a great game. A great game would have been scoring those three touchdowns and not missing the field goal. That's 24 more points that you should have had. That would have been a great game. But that's not what we got. This offense has problems, and they're not getting addressed. So, so the, the great game theory I got a problem with. It's not a great game. You're a 17.5-point favorite. You left 24, at least 24 points on the field by your sloppiness. How's that a great game? It's not. It's a stupid thing to say. Have some standards of what a great game is. The other thing, and this, I almost, we almost drove off the road on the toll road headed back to Chicago when the, the radio booth for the, for the uh, AM1000 that carries the game saying this was a season-saving final drive. We almost drove off the road. What are you talking about season-saving? Season-saving was last week against Michigan. Winning that game to stay in the playoff hunt was season-saving. That would have been season-saving. Now that your stated preseason goals are ruined, how did this save the season? I'm very, very uncomfortable with the sliding bar of what's acceptable here. Very uncomfortable with it. Before this, this season, all, all Jack and Brian say is, oh, it's playoff. That's the goal. We got there last year. We need to get back. That's the goal. That's the goal. Well, now you blew that. You blew that by not even showing up, having any interest, or being competitive whatsoever against Michigan. So you blew that goal. Next thing you know, this game's season saving. How? Your original goal's already shot. How did this save the season? So, so, see, I got a problem with this. And then Brian Kelly said after the Michigan game, oh, well, if we run the table and go 10 and 2, all will be happy. That's an exact quote from Brian Kelly. If we end up 10 and 2, all will be happy. I won't be. I won't be. So, so it just changes week to week to fit whatever calms people's emotions. And that's from the fan side of it. That's from the media side of it. I understand the players and coaches can't dwell on Michigan. They have to move on. I totally understand that part of it because those guys can't dwell on it. But I can. I can. 
It doesn't matter if I'm still mad about it. That isn't going to change how they play moving forward. So I can still have a problem with it. But this sliding bar to just to calm people's emotions really bothers me. Like you need to, it's like, and then people were just saying, oh, you know, a lot of people had them pegged for 10 and two going into the season. What would be so bad if that ended up being what it is? What? You were in the playoff last year. Now I'm supposed to be happy with reverting back to 10 and two, losing to probably the two best teams on the schedule and one of them by a hundred points in prime time. And I'm supposed to just be happy with that. Meaning it would be a year where you didn't beat anybody that's any good at all. If that's how it goes. I guess USC, if you want to say they're there, I'm more surprised we won that game each more game I see after it. But honestly, but no, I'm not happy with that. Like, what are we doing here when we're, it's not even important to beat the good teams on the schedule and we're just fine with it. Like if your stated goal is playoff, then you need to acknowledge we failed that goal and make there be consequences for failing that goal. They always talk about accountability. Well, what does that mean? Oh, accountability. What does that look like? What does that mean? So I just, I don't, I'm just not comfortable with the way this narrative shifts to appease people's emotions. I don't like that. I don't operate that way. Season saving against Virginia Tech, the season saving was against Michigan. You had to win it to keep your goal alive and didn't. So don't say it's season saving. You know, Brian Kelly was talking about, oh, the, going into Virginia Tech, the guys are ornery in practice. They're pretty feisty. Well, it's too late. It's too late for that. Why weren't they feisty and physical for a half a month going into Michigan? Like, I'm not in the mood to hear this stuff. I'm not in the mood to hear it. This stuff pisses me off. Oh, they're pretty feisty this week. Oh, yeah. Why weren't you? Why were you not being that way leading into Michigan? I got problems with this stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't intellectually, it's not intellectually congruent. It aggravates me. Oh, they're really feisty. Well, you're a week too late for that. Why is this stuff in retrospect and not proactive after 10 years? Like, I'm sorry. I know it was an exciting ending to this ball game, but when you're a 17 and a half point favorite, you just got humiliated the week before. It's not too much to ask that maybe you just come out and take care of business at home and not make it be so dramatic. Play good football. Put together an offense. Don't have dumb turnovers. Make a kick. These are not asking too much of a team in year 10 under a head coach. Don't feel guilty asking or expecting that. That's where it should be. So let's let's get into Virginia Tech a little bit. Um, here's one thing I will say. It was nice to see Clark Lee's defense look like at least a semblance of itself again. That was nice to see. I feel like Clark Lee is the one person in this program I trust the most right now to be able to have his unit ready to perform. I mean, passing Virginia Tech at 139 yards, 9 of 28, 139. 
five average. Rushing, 36 for 101 yards, 2.8. I mean, those are garbage numbers, and Notre Dame needed the last second to win the game. So credit the defense for looking more like themselves. You give up 20 points, you should win every game. So I at least credit them for that. Now, I will say, when you look at this whole season, I expected a lot more quarterback pressure than we got. I mean, yeah, we got a lot of it against Virginia, but I really expected us to be in the backfield a lot more this year. So I'm not thrilled with that. There's still some times where the back end looks shaky. Obviously, I mean, everything in Michigan was just bad. I guess you just got to throw that out as just dead on arrival. And, you know, but so I at least credit Clark Lee for that. He's the one person I actually trust around this program right now. Him and Bayless are about the only two guys I trust in the entire program. That's it. I know Carmoa got in there, I think, three times. Khalid Kareem with the big sack at a big moment. I'm just saying overall, I expected more overall disruption out of this defense. But at this point, at least there's something I could kind of rely on. Because offensively, I'm just terrified. Terrified. That's the thing, you guys. The way this offense is operating now, and now they're down two starting offensive linemen the rest of the year, every one of these remaining games is in question. Because you never know if the de uh, offense is just going to do nothing. And so that's it just has me on edge because you could lose any one of these games where this when this offense is the way it is. And nothing's changing, nothing's getting better. So I a part of me thinks it'd be a borderline miracle to go 10 and 2. Cuz I just think one of these games just the offense isn't going to do enough. And I know we got Duke ahead of us. But don't even get me started talking about Navy and what that could turn into if you don't score damn near every possession. You guys have all seen it before, and Navy's playing good football offensively and defensively this year. So don't even, I mean, we're going to talk about Duke. Don't even get me started on Navy. You got to score almost every possession against Navy. A couple three and outs, you lose the game. So... I, this is all on the table because this offense cannot get it figured out. So so that's the deal with the defense. I Overall, this year, I expected more disruption in the backfield, but uh, Clark Lee, I, I tend to trust him, even though Michigan, I it shook my faith on every single thing that's in the program because it should. And if it doesn't, you got problems. So... But he's the closest thing I have to trusting anything about this program. Moving on to offense. Here, here's, here's the deal. So, obviously, I'm thrilled for Ian Book. He led a, a game-winning drive, scored with his feet, like made a couple throws. I think the crossing throw to Claypool on 4th and 10 might be my favorite throw he's made all year. A somewhat deep crossing route. I don't know why that's so much to ask as a regular part of the offense. But that was beautiful. I would have liked it to be in stride so he could keep running, but Ian doesn't do that. At least he caught it. Okay, fine. And then we win the game. Great. I'm really happy for Ian Book. He took a lot of crap and had a horrible game against Michigan, and his statistics this year are down in every single category. 
That is not an opinion. That is a fact. Okay? So, I'm thrilled for, for Ian Buck. And by the way, any of you idiots that after Michigan was tweeting at Ian Book that he sucks and he should be benched and all this stuff, you guys are losers. Like, like I get upset. Obviously, you guys heard my show last week. But never in my wildest dreams would I go after the kid, literally, and tweet to him that he sucks. That also goes for you weirdos that tweet at recruits. You think some 18-year-old great football player cares what you're tw tweeting him from your mom's basement? So, oh, dude, uh, 40 years, come to Notre Dame, we got all this tradition. Dude, you think these kids care and that makes any difference? They don't need you to try and vouch for your team. It's creepy. So nobody should tweet at these recruits or these players. It's just weird. So any of you that are doing that are... Totally out of control and wrong and idiots. Do not ever do that. Jesus. But here's the, <laughs> here's the deal with Ian Book. I feel bad for him. I mean, he's a three-star recruit. He had this high peak last year. He's extremely limited. We've seen what the limitations are. He can win you a bunch of ball games against nobodies. But when you need elite quarterback play to win a big game, he's not going to get it done. I don't know how many times you need to see that to know that it's true. Okay? that That's just the facts. We've seen it play out for a couple years. So forgive me that I would think Notre Dame could have a guy capable of doing that, and I'm asking why we don't. Am I out of line there? So give me a break. I think that's perfectly reasonable to expect Notre Dame to have a quarterback that could give you a chance to make the throws you need to win a big game against a team equal or better than you. He hasn't done that in every single opportunity given. So forgive me that I'm asking why Notre Dame, why the University of Notre Dame doesn't have a quarterback that can do that. I think it's a perfectly fair question. Now, I love Ian Book's toughness, his effort. He seems like a great kid, a nice kid, tries hard, all that kind of stuff. I love. He's just physically limited. And in some respects this year, it seems he's mentally limited. And I saw a lot of that at the game. But here's, here's the deal. Ian Book scored the game-winning touchdown. And then I didn't see till I got home. He did that thing with your finger, shushing the crowd as a gesture to say, I know you all were ragging on me last week, but look what I did now. To the home crowd. To the home crowd. Not Dexter Williams doing it to Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech. This was Ian Book scoring and shushing the home crowd. As if to say, you guys all thought I was bad. Look what I did. I just won the game. As a competitor in Ian Book, I understand why he did that. But me being myself, I kind of see the other side of the coin, which is Listen, buddy, your mistakes are a part of the reason we needed this last second drive to win. Don't throw two interceptions going into the end zone. We win by a couple scores and nobody has to sweat it out. So it's not like he played great the whole game and won. His mistakes are the reason we needed that drive to win. 
So, like, I get why he did it and whatever. That's fine. As a competitor, I understand it. But as a fan, I'm sitting here going, dude, you threw two horrible interceptions. Without doing that, we wouldn't have needed this last-second miracle. So that's on you. So maybe that's the glass-half-empty guy in me, but when he's doing the shush thing, I'm going, well, whatever, man. You should kind of have your tail between your legs. You overcame your own mistakes, barely. This wasn't Alabama you beat in the last second. You were a 17.5-point favorite at home over Virginia Tech. So I understand why he did it. Now, here's the other part of this. Maybe this will give Ian Book some confidence. He just led a game-winning drive. And by the way, Brian Kelly said he literally offered this in his media session. This was the only successful two-minute drive Ian Book has had all year in games and and practice. That's what Brian Kelly said openly. This was the only successful two-minute up-tempo drive Book succeeded on all year in practice or games. Okay. And I'm supposed to feel good about that? Like, why is that where we're at? I, I can't understand that. And I don't get what he was trying to say. Because it's not good. Now, one thing that was really, really interesting in this ball game. And I had a really unique perspective on, and I'm not saying this trying to like brag or do any whatever, but it, I guarantee it's linked to the game. I'm not trying to be that guy, but the tickets we were lucky enough to get were in what used to be the gold seats in the third row, you know, right by, it was the between the 45 and 50 were where our four seats were there. They used to be the gold seats. Now they're the blue seats with the nice cushion padding right on the Notre Dame bench, okay, like 10 feet from the bench. So that's where we were. As a result of those seats, I was just about eye level with the in-book. And it was really, really interesting. I was making a concerted effort from that vantage point to try and look at his eyes, see how he's reading the field or not, or where he's looking. And... It's just not great. He's he's. It's a half field read, especially the first half. Nothing was ever left. He was looking. Everything was on the middle half of the field and to his right, and he was locking in on guys. Did it on the first interception, but he was staring guys down. I could look right in his helmet at eye level and see it. He's just not seeing the whole field, and I don't know if they Mitch Trubisky'd him, and, and started paring it down and saying, only look at half a field to make your reads and progressions because it'll be easier for you or what. But it's just an extremely limited vantage point. He's just only looking at half the field, that first receiver, and, and then if that's not there, it's a panic. But it was really weird to see it and just look at him, look at it through his helmet, and then his head never turned. That was it. Defenses pick up on that. It, it was just kind of startling to see from that vantage point. And so I guess the overall takeaway is if, if they're sticking with him the rest of the year, and it seems that they are, maybe he gains some confidence for this and this unlocks some of that. So in that regard, that would be a very good thing. I'm not saying that. 
But when you no-showed last week, couldn't do anything, and then your mistakes are the reason we needed a last-second drive, I don't know if you should be shushing the home crowd or not. That's just me. That's just me. But the bottom line is, with this offense, you could lose any of these games left on the schedule. Any of them. It's certainly possible. I still ask this. What is the offensive identity of this Notre Dame football team? What is it? What are we trying to accomplish? What's our go-to play when we need to put a drive together or get a first down? What are we good at? What's the go-to? What are we trying to accomplish? I don't have any of those answers. I don't. I don't. There are none. And Brian Kelly said in the press conference, another thing, he had me losing my mind. He loves the way Chip's, Chip's calling games. He has no problem with the play call. All that stuff he thinks is great. I just don't understand what you're trying to accomplish. I will say this, and I've said it again. I've said it before. Chase Claypool, he's the only one who plays at 100% all the time. He was the only one playing hard all the way through Michigan, trying to make plays. The guy's an NFL player. I commend him. He shows up ready to make plays every single week. That's the only part of the offense I'm totally sold on every week. He's the only one I could count on. And so make no doubt about it. Ian Book has his own personal struggles in the passing game. But it doesn't help when, as a team, you rush 38 times for 106 yards for an average... For an average of 2.8 yards. So they had 106 yards rushing and 50 of them were by Ian Book who ran 13 times. So that means from your traditional running backs, you got 50 yards against Virginia Tech rushing. Like that's, that's atrocious football. You're not, that is not a recipe for success, especially as the weather turns and you may not be able to throw the ball around. You're going to need to run the ball, and you're running it for 2.8 a carry, 50 yards, taking Ian Book running out of it. It's not good enough. It's not near good enough. It's not sustainable. You can't win every week running for 50 yards. And it ain't going to get any easier with two starting offensive linemen out. So you need to figure something out. Ian Book should not have to throw the ball 53 times to try and beat Virginia Tech. What are you doing? So I, I just, I don't understand it. So I'm, I'm still totally lost on this offense. I don't understand what they're good at, what they try and do, their identity, adjustments. I just don't get it. Like you actually hit on a screen or two this week. Wow. Okay, so now you're two out of 30 for the year when you ran a screenplay, right? Like I just, I'm not seeing rhythm. I'm not seeing push from the offensive line. It's just not sustainable. And I don't see any active changes or adjustments to try and account for this stuff or open it up. And you got away with it this week, but I'm not sure you could do it the rest of the way. And I'm going to say this in terms of the Notre Dame crowd this year for the games I've been at at home. 
Maybe I'm just getting into good sections, even in the blue seats, which are the big money holders, where we were Saturday. There's a guy behind me screaming down to the bench. This offense is terrible. Figure something out. I mean, there were people yelling that from the blue seats. And those are the big cigar smokers that usually get a bad reputation. And there was people in that section where I was yelling, this offense is terrible. Figure it out. The Virginia game I was at, there are people yelling, what are you doing? Figure it out. So maybe I'm just in good sections, but it's and it was a relief for me to learn I wasn't the only one in there being harsh about things. And one more thing I'd like to say while we're on the subject of yelling. I did a lot of yelling at the refereeing. I mean, it was hard to tell because I was at the game and not watching on TV. That crew was atrocious. Absolutely horrible. Officiating across football is getting worse, both leagues, NFL and college. But I felt the officiating was absolutely atrocious both ways, against Virginia Tech and against Notre Dame. Horrible calls, horrible reviews that weren't necessary. The bad targeting call on Hamilton that was right in front of me, clear as day, shoulder, no helmet. Like, just garbage officiating. Just absolutely atrocious. I came home and watched a TV copy to see all the replays. It was bad. Terrible. But it seems as though maybe I've come around to this realization, and I think a lot of Notre Dame fans are starting to as well. Even the ones that support Kelly and whatever, I get it. He's got us further than the last few guys. I understand all that. But I'm getting to the point where I'm very, very confident saying this. And I want to know if you guys are on board with this. In a lot of ways, Ian Book and Brian Kelly are in the same boat to me. And in that regard, I mean this. They've both done some really awesome things in their time at Notre Dame to move the program forward, be ultra competitive, get us at least to that level. Okay, And I credit both of them for their contributions. Obviously, Brian Kelly on a, over a longer haul with a lot more on his shoulders. And then Ian Book and what he did last year making us playoff relevant and all that stuff. So I appreciate all that. At the same time, I realize that neither one of them are ever going to get us over the hump to where we need to go. And I think that's a perfectly logical, emotional feeling to have. And it's fine to have both at the same time. Like, I think it's perfectly fair to say. Brian Kelly changed a lot of things. Facilities, strength and conditioning. Uh, you know, just all the kind of stuff you need to strength and conditioning, all this stuff. And then Ian Book took us and led us into the playoff and won all those games last year. Those are great contributions. But I've seen limitations from both of these guys enough over time to make me realize neither one of them is getting us over the hump. And so I appreciate what they both done, but I'm realizing their limitations. Neither one of them is going to get us over the hump to where we knock off a of Georgia or win a playoff game, beat somebody we have no business beating. I've seen enough from both of these, co these people to realize that they're just not going to be the ones to do it. 
And so I appreciate what they both done, but it only gets up to a certain level. So forget me, forgive me that I'm saying, okay, they both built a good foundation. Who can get us over the top? Because I just, I've seen enough from both of these guys that I, there's no evidence to suggest either one's going to do it. Tell me otherwise. Tell me otherwise. It's like with Ian Book. Oh, well, he led us to the playoff. What do you mean he's not a quarterback? Yeah, led us to the playoff and then got shell-shocked and couldn't do anything in that game. Why is it wrong for me to ask why Notre Dame, the University of Notre Dame and all that history and that beautiful gold helmet doesn't have a quarterback with a big arm that could perform his best in a big game? Am I asking for too much? Like, this is Notre Dame, and I'm asking for a big-arm quarterback that can maybe win a big game. And people, what are you going to tell me I'm asking, expecting too much? I don't really think I am. And so I, it just kind of leaves me in this area where we're just kind of teetering, and I, I just don't know what direction it's going to go here. And But I just feel like I've seen... All I need to see, for, and I'm not saying that means fire Kelly right now. Like, like I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying I've seen a lot out of these guys that makes me think that there's no evidence to suggest either one's going to get us over the top. They both had multiple opportunities to do so. And most of the time it ends horribly. Not even close, but horribly. And so I'm just pointing that out. And I think a lot of Notre Dame fans are coming to that conclusion. That doesn't mean you don't appreciate that Brian Kelly burned it down and now we're 26 and 5 or whatever we are over three years or whatever. But that doesn't mean you should feel guilty wanting to win a playoff game or beating one of the two best teams on your schedule. You're not expecting too much. Those are fair things to want as a Notre Dame fan. They just are, and nobody's going to convince me otherwise or give, make me feel guilty for saying I, I would like a quarterback that's capable of making throws down the field regularly. I don't think that's asking a lot. And so before we get into a little bit about Duke, um, I want to mention, I want to remind all you guys, this game, I think it's 6.30 at night, but it's on the ACC network. And I know I've talked about this before. Not everybody has access to the ACC network. So if you don't, you need to figure it out or you're not going to be able to watch this game. Everybody's so used to tuning in to ABC for an away game and Notre Dame's on. It ain't going to happen this week. I know for AT&T, I just got access to this channel like two or three weeks ago. And I know uh, people in Kevin in Canada, he's having trouble getting it. And he's trying to figure things out with a fire stick, all this technology stuff. So you better, you guys figure it out. You got the rest of the week. But I don't want anybody to tune in and then realize you can't watch a game and lose your marbles. Okay? So that's the first thing with Duke. Here's, here's the next thing. Duke is currently 4-4. Four and four. They've been kind of up and down all year. It doesn't help when you play Alabama your first game and lose 42-3. to three. So that obviously hurt. But I totally respect the hell out of David Cutcliffe. I feel like he's a really 
straight up honorable guy, a solid coach who just never is where he's been. He's just not going to have top end talent to really compete. But I respect the hell out of David Cutcliffe. I think he's a good guy, a fair guy, one of the better dudes in college football, just in terms of being an honorable, good guy. So I, I automatically respect his abilities. Um, they're four and four. Now, yeah, you want see, there's some weird stuff here with Duke. I'm looking at their stuff. You got a 48 to 14 loss to Virginia. Okay, so then you start looking at that, and we play Virginia. And then you look at their Virginia Tech game. Does anybody know off the top of your head what this final score was of Duke versus Virginia Tech? If you guessed 45 to 10 Duke, you'd be right. So I don't know what to think. They just beat Virginia Tech 45 to 10. And you needed a miracle last second drive to, to beat them 20 to 21. So I don't know what to think. Now, they are on a two-game losing streak to North Carolina and Virginia, but they're kind of all over the board, and the crossover matchups with us and them are all over the board. So I don't know what to expect. It's a night game. It's like nothing to us, but I'm sure they're going to build it up as the biggest game ever. So you better come ready to play again. That's something I don't understand about the Notre Dame players and coaches. You got to realize you're circled on every team's schedule, no matter what conference they're in or anything else. Everybody wants to knock off Notre Dame. You need to prepare for that and understand that. But if you didn't get up for Michigan, and all that means to both sides and both fan bases, how can I trust you to get up for Duke? I can't. I cannot. That was it. That was the last chance. I cannot trust them to come prepared emotionally and preparation-wise for any ball game. That's over. You can't trust it. If you can't find it in yourselves with a half a month to prepare to come emotionally ready to play against Michigan, I will never trust you to prepare for any game again. If you can't do it then, why would I think you're going to do it against these lesser teams? So anything's possible the rest of the way. They're giving up 26 points a game. They average 166 rushing yards, 66 in the country. They average just a shade under 200. A shade under 200 passing per game. That's 102nd in the nation. They're scoring just under 30 a game. So I, it just seems like they're all over the board, up and down. I, I just, I, you looked at the back, prior to Michigan, you looked at the back end of the schedule as really easy, kind of easy to navigate and whatever. I'm sorry, Michigan stuck with me and it changed things. I can't trust you to come prepared to play anybody, no matter what anymore. It's over. I cannot trust it. I never will again. I will never trust a Brian Kelly team to come ready and prepared to play. I fell for it for the last time. And I cannot emotionally allow myself to do it again. And I'm not going to. And you guys shouldn't either. That's a part of what I mean when I said the Michigan situation was bigger than just one game. It was so much bigger than that. And people are ignoring it. And it bothers me. And, you know, that that's the problem I have. It's so short-sighted to, listen, like I said before, I totally understand that the players and coaches needed to wrap up Michigan week, move on from it, and prepare 
for the next game so Michigan didn't beat you twice. I totally understand players and coaches need to think that way. Fans and media do not. I can sit there and worry about Michigan all I want. It's not going to change how the players play in the rest of these games. So when people say to me, and people do, John, that was just one one game. You got to move on and let it go. That is absolute 100% garbage. It's inaccurate. It's your job as a good fan to be able to identify these seminal moments that are bigger than just the actual game you're in. And that could be good things or bad things. That could be a big upset where we break through the glass ceiling, say we would have beat Georgia or something and kept winning or beat Clemson in the playoff game. Like That's a game that means more than just that one game because of the broad spectrum. The, The other way is also true when something bad happens. This Michigan game was more than just one loss. It kind of summed up to me the entirety of the Brian Kelly tenure. There's an, there is an emotional and preparation problem when we get into these big games. And that is a big picture issue that spanned most of the Brian Kelly years. You cannot wrap this up and just say it was just one bad game. We didn't catch bounces. This was a failure to show up. We see almost once a year. And and that is a big picture problem. Why are these guys not properly motivated and in the right headspace going into a big game? Why? That is an issue. That is a major freaking issue. And I'm not going to let it go. I I refuse to let it go. And if you let it go, all you're doing is it hurts you And for your emotions, you're trying to block it out and forget about it. But that's a dangerous way to live. So I have a problem with that, that we didn't show up. And I was doing some more thinking about this. In the show last week, I said I thought the Michigan game was the first or second worst loss of the Brian Kelly era. I think it's number one. Because even against Miami, we were moving the ball but had like seven turnovers. But we were doing some things. Here... We just, aside from emotionally not being ready, which happened in both games, here, we got absolutely physically dominated and manhandled on top of not being emotionally prepared to play. That's a whole different ballgame. That's not what happened against Miami. So the fact that we got bullied and physically manhandled on both lines and didn't come emotionally prepared, this was, to me, the worst loss of the Brian Kelly era. You could point to who did we lose to early in his tenure, Tulsa or somebody stupid we shouldn't have lost to. Those were years where you weren't competitive on the national landscape anyways. So that loss means less to me. Yeah, it was bad, but it didn't mean what this meant. It wasn't on this stage. It wasn't with these stakes. So for that reason, this is a loss that's going to carry over for me. I'll never get over it. And I have to emotionally protect myself to never buy in or trust this team to be ready again. And I advise you to do the same. Protect yourself. You must. Like I've said before, if you just played a good game in bad weather, lost 20-17, to they made one more play, this would be a different discussion. But the complete lack of preparation, failure to show up emotionally ready, no adjustments in the game, no fight back, no pushback, Those are things that are very, very telling to me of the program overall, and I refuse to let it go. It offends me that much. How could you not be ready?
I don't understand how you cannot get up to play Michigan. I do not understand it. I'll never understand it, but it's a problem. It's a problem, and it's year after year there's one of these games, and it just it couldn't be this one. It couldn't be against them. And so that's a big-picture Brian Kelly motivational issue. You know what? Listen, everybody knows it's harder to win at Notre Dame. Everybody knows the restrictions on recruiting and the academic responsibilities, all this stuff. Everybody knows it's harder to win at Notre Dame. That is why it's imperative that Notre Dame needs a terrific motivator as head coach. You need a guy like Lou Holtz who knows what buttons to push to get a greater result than the sum of the parts of the team. That is one of the things Lou Holtz was best at, and I think it's one of the things Brian Kelly's worst at. I just, I just, I don't understand why there's a lack of motivation here. I don't get it. This is also something I'm very disappointed in the local media and and uh, some po- other podcasts I listened to covered it, and many did not. Um, a lot of the podcasts from the in-house bought and paid for Notre Dame media, they totally glossed over it. They just talked about, oh, offensively, we couldn't do anything against Michigan. I wanted more people to focus on this motivational failure to show up. I do not understand why that is not more of a question point in these press conferences. Why is nobody saying, how could your guys not come emotionally ready to play against Michigan, coach? Why doesn't anybody ask that? Now, I get that the bought and paid for media, and you know who they are, and that some of them are really nice guys. They don't feel like they can hammer Kelly because they're going to lose their access, get on his bad side. He's not going to give them any information. I understand that's a tricky dynamic to live and work in. I get that. But some of this stuff is fluff. They let Brian Kelly get away with murder up there. Just not saying anything, just glossing over stuff. I was appalled at the lack of conviction of other podcasts and media, hammering the fact of why did you not show up excited and ready to play against Michigan? That should have been number one. And then the offensive struggles and getting dominated on both lines of scrimmage, the inability to stop the run, those are all secondary. But to me, the number one question everybody should have been hammering is, Why is there a failure to show up ready to play in these games? And I was utterly disappointed that I didn't see more of that from everybody. The other thing from the media that I think is garbage that they allow is every week when this comes up, you ask, is there any possibility that Phil could get some time? Brian Kelly's response is, if we thought Phil could help us, he'd be out there. Phil's not ready. And then they just move on. The media, they just move on to the next question and accept that answer. Why isn't there a follow-up question saying, Coach Kelly, look around the country. There's 18-year-old freshmen starting and playing all over, winging the ball downfield all over. Young kids, kids right out of high school. USC's got one. Throwing the ball all over, doing all this stuff. How is it possible you, you don't have one of those guys ready to play. 
How is that not a fair follow-up question? When he says Phil's not ready to play, the next question needs to be, why? Why did he win every passing award in America as a high school player and he can't even compete for snaps after multiple years in the program? Why is that acceptable and why is it happening here? That is a perfectly legitimately fair question nobody in the media wants to ask. But everybody just takes it and moves on to the next question. That, that To me, that is not an excuse. That is not, you're not getting enough production from your quarterback, and they say, why, why can't the backup, who is all-world, everything, high school, big, huge kid, strong, everything, oh, well, he's not ready yet. Well, then that's a problem with development. Why is he not ready yet? It's multiple years in the program. He should be able to compete. If Ian Book takes a shot to the ribs again, he's going to have to. How is he not ready? What do you mean? These are fair questions nobody asks. I'm sick of feeling like the bad guy for thinking Notre Dame should have a big arm quarterback that could throw the ball all over the field. This is Notre Dame. Why, why am I feeling guilty for inquiring as to why we don't have a guy who could throw the ball good? Seriously. Come on. This is Notre Dame. Even if Phil's not going to start, why not build him a little Phil package to where we could run some of the deeper pass routes? And then guess what? When it gets to where everybody knows when Phil comes in, it's going to be a pass. That's when you start running the ball and mixing it up. Like you could do some cool little things with that just to get him some meaningful snaps, not in garbage time. Let him air it out, stretch a defense a little bit. Once they back up, then you start doing some running plays or some maybe there will be more room for these screens that never work. Like there are things I think you could do because this offense is so stagnant. They just don't want to do it. He's not ready is not a valid excuse. Bottom line, that means you didn't, re, you didn't evaluate him well or you're not developing him well. The kid should be able to compete by now. End of story. But I'm just, I'm losing patience with these Kelly press conferences. Oh, everybody was feisty this week. Well, it's too late. You blew it against Michigan. Oh, the season saved because we beat Virginia Tech. False. The season would have been saved if you beat Michigan, not Virginia Tech. Quit sliding the bar down just to make everybody feel better. Oh, if we go 10-2, and two, then everybody will be happy. No, I won't be happy. That means you didn't beat anybody as good or better than you all year. Sorry, I'm not happy with that. And one of them was an absolute disgrace blowout. So no, I'm not going to be happy with that. A couple other things came up from the fallout of the Michigan game that I wanted to address personally because I was involved in them in multiple ways. One thing is, I really struggle with somebody, if anybody ever tells you, if you're, say you're a diehard Notre Dame fan, but you're never happy and it's never good enough, why don't you just find another team and, and root for another team? I don't understand that at all. Being a Notre Dame fan is not an option. It's who I am. So I don't understand that from the beginning. Maybe those people are the Fairweather fans because they think you could just pick and choose willy-nilly your allegiances. I was born into a Notre Irish Catholic Notre Dame family. This is not a choice. It's who we are. It's what we are. That is not a choice. Better or worse, it's who I am. So if anybody says, why don't you pick another team that you need to respond with, this isn't a choice. And if you think it is, you're not a diehard fan. And the other part of that is, if it was a choice, 
Who the hell would pick Notre Dame the last 30 years? It makes no sense. So that argument is totally invalid. The only reason I lose my mind to get mad about this stuff is because I love Notre Dame so much, it hurts my soul when we're embarrassing in front of the entire nation. My loyalty is to the values and brand of Notre Dame football. No independent, no individual coach or player or this current iteration of the team. My loyalty is to the values of Notre Dame football and protecting them. And I get upset when I don't see that standard being reached. The Michigan game was an example of that. I did not see a, a will to compete. Not physical little errors. I didn't see an emotional will to want to be there and play a tough game. That's unacceptable. Even in the fight song, we will fight in every game unless it's raining and everybody's looking at us. I can't handle that. That does not represent the values I love about Notre Dame. So I can't support that. So that's what cracks me up when people say, John, you're, you're nothing's good enough. You're not a real fan. You're a fair weather. What are you talking about fair weather? We haven't won in 30 years. What's fair weather about that? Why do I sit here every week and yell and scream if I don't love them? It's all from a place of love, and I just want them to be good and respected. And I want the values of Notre Dame to be represented nationally in every TV every week so we can be proud of it. That's what the goal is here. So, so you got to stop anybody who says, if you're never happy with them, it's not good enough, pick another team. You tell them it's not a choice. It's who you are. It's who you are. And when you get mad, it's because they're not upholding the values that built this program into what it is. And that is totally fair and legitimate. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Another thing I saw on social media that really upset me was there were some people saying, the only people really losing their minds about all this are Subway alums. If you went to school there, that wouldn't you wouldn't do that because you would know about all the other values and things that come with the Notre Dame education. That really, really upsets me. A lot of the people I'm close with now through this show are Notre Dame grads who are losing their minds. You know why? Because a lot of them were around when the team was competitive and winning championships, and that's what they're used to. I was four years old last time we won anything. Try living through all of it and see being in school when they win a championship and then seeing 88 and all this stuff. So there's a lot of alums that are really upset. I might also direct you towards the Twitter accounts of our former players, one of them being Brady Quinn, who after the Michigan game said, this is the kind of game that makes you reevaluate everything in the program. Total failure to show up. Coming for Brady Quinn. You're not going to listen to Brady thinking he knows a thing or two about this stuff? And when they were trying to get rid of, uh, when they were doing the billboards on campus to fire the head coach, who is behind it? Alums, not Subway alums, alums. So that's a, a false narrative I want to shut down right now, that it's only people who didn't go there that care about it this way. It's not accurate. Something else that came up, and I knew damn well it was going to come up after I released the Michigan Post game show, and all I was saying and the things I was calling out that are unacceptable, there's a certain segment of the fan base that does not like me, does not think I'm good for the program, does not think I'm a fan. They, they just, they think I'm a jerk. And you know what? I'm totally cool with it. Don't care. I don't care. 
I really don't. Somebody has to do a show that has some standards. And if I'm the bad guy, guess what? I'm not going anywhere. We're growing. Everybody that does have standards, jump on board this train. We will represent that portion of the fan base. And I got news for you. There's more of us than you think. And there's more of us than there was five years ago or ten years ago. And that's something I'm learning. There is a lot of people that feel the way I do. And it's all from a place of love. Okay? It's all from a place of love and how much my soul hurts when we embarrass ourselves in front of the whole country and don't even show up interested to play. So there's a bunch of people that DM'd me and listened to the show and said that I was an asshole and I'm a jerk and I'm not a real fan for being so hard on them. I'm not listening to you. I don't care. This show's not changing. My standards aren't changing. If, if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. This show's not for everybody. I knew when I started it with my personality, it was going to turn some people off. I don't care. This show's not for you then. That's the thing. There's plenty of Notre Dame media around. Everybody feel free to find one that fits your perspective if you want. However, the best thing you could do, and I say this about politics too, the healthiest thing you could do is... Watch something on Fox News and then watch them cover the same subject on CNN. So you get both sides of it. So listen to my show and then listen to a show that is more glass half full. That's more on the positive side. See where we overlap. See where we differ. I don't care. But this show's not changing. I'm not changing. I'm not beholden to any media credential or I have to watch what I say so I maintain access. I don't have those worries. I don't have those worries. So I tell you what's in my heart from a place of logic and emotion. That's the point of this show. It's never going to change. If you don't like it and you don't like me, I, I just don't care. How about that? I don't care. I'm going to keep doing my thing and it's never going to change. The reality is in a big fan base ecosystem like Notre Dame has nationally and worldwide, it's probably healthy. You're going to need some people that are more glass half full, keep the morale up when things are going bad. And then you need people on the other end like me to make sure there's some level of standards that are heard and pushed. You need both. You need both. And I'm happy to take up the, uh, the this end of it, where I at least say there's some things here that are unacceptable and a standard that has to be met. I'm sorry. So if I'm the bad guy, I'm the bad guy. Who cares? Okay, a couple just quick hitter notes before we move on to Always Annoyed. One is Notre Dame has landed the Ohio State safety transfer, Isaiah Pryor, who's a big body kid. I know some people question some of his play at Ohio State. Notre Dame is going to have secondary depth issues next year. Having him and Hamilton back there is a good thing. So nobody's going to tell me to not be glad this kid's coming over to Notre Dame and we could have him for a couple years. So that's one thing. Number two, I want to shout out Drew Tranquil for making a huge special teams play yesterday for the Chargers. I love to see it. All hustle, making a big special teams play. You know how much I care about special teams. Shout out to him for that. 
The other thing that's come up, obviously, USC hired an athletic director. And then, of course, the next big push is all this Urban Meyer stuff. From what I've heard from the people I'm hearing from, I'm hearing mixed stuff from a bunch of different people about Urban and USC, Urban and Notre Dame. Like, I've just heard all over the board from people I trust and I've just heard a lot of different things all over the board. So I don't have any information for you other than what I've heard is conflicting every different way you could possibly swing this. As far as the rumor mill, I've been told by somebody who thinks something's true. So I don't know what to say, but if he goes to USC, I'm, I'm telling you what, he could just recruit a hundred mile radius from Hollywood It'd be the Wild West, Pete Carroll Part 2. Do whatever you want. Have whatever you want. Run Hollywood and win a bunch and then flare out. But Notre Dame, you might beat him the first time he's there because he hasn't gotten all of his stuff going. And after that, forget it. It'll be Pete Carroll Part 2, Wild Wild West. So you better hope he stays out in the media or does something else or, or something. Because it's going to be uh-oh time. If you give him the reins to open up all of Hollywood to these kids. One more streak that's busted this week. The no running back having fumbled since 2017 streak is over in debilitating, game-changing fashion. It was like slow motion. I was having a stroke in my fancy padded blue seat watching the guy run right in front of me all the way down the field. It was like, what was it? Um, Pittsburgh overtime, we fumbled going in the, the goal line. It was like the U.S., uh, South Florida, we're going in to score in the first drive, run it all the way back. It was like, what was it, USC 2011, I think, fumble on the goal line, run it all the way back. All these things came home to roost. I, these are just things you can't do. It's not winning football, man. That was an opportunity to go into halftime 21 to 7, and instead it's 14-14, you lost all momentum. Like it's just bad football. It's just it's just it's just, it's just bad football. Finally, 28 and 6, the last three seasons is good, especially the last 30 years of following Notre Dame. It's good, but it isn't great. And there's nothing wrong with you as a Notre Dame fan wanting greatness. Wanting excellence, wanting accountability. Those are things this program talks about all the time, but they have to do it and show it and demonstrate it. So yeah, 28 and 6 is better than where we were, but it could still get better. And don't ever feel guilty asking for that. Don't. Okay, this is going to be a quick one, but it's time for another Always Annoyed segment. We won again, so I feel like I'm in a better mood. We all need to laugh a little bit. This Notre Dame thing's been so damn stressful. So this is a social thing everybody's gone through. I'm sure you've noticed it as well. I noticed this primarily, I'd say 10 or 12 years ago, it really started to get bad, or maybe that's just when I lived in Chicago on my own and had to do all my own uh, grocery shopping weekly. But here's the problem I have. Grocery store decorum is at an all-time low. People have no respect for the process of going to the store and getting groceries. I'm talking about your Kroger, your Jewel. Uh, that's what we have in Chicago, Mariano's if you're fancy, or, or whatever else you got. 
but I'm just talking about a regular grocery store. I'm not even talking about Whole Foods. That could be its own always annoyed because I walk in there and I feel like I'm in Mars and I have no idea what anything is and all the people in there freak me out. So I'm not even going to talk about Whole Foods. This is just a regular grocery store. In Illinois, we got Jewel and Kroger, the two biggest ones. So here's some of the problems I have with, with people driving me nuts. When I shop, no matter what I'm shopping for, I know what I'm getting. I do it as quickly as I can, and I want to get the hell out of the cluster of people shopping for groceries. It's a pain in the ass convenience to have to do. So that's my goal. Get in there. I know what I'm getting. I'm going quick and I'm getting the hell out of Dodge. That's my goal. Here's some of the problems I see. One is you got the fruit groper. Okay. You know who it is. It's always some creepy old guy or some lady and she's like molesting all the fruit and squeezing it investigating it. oh this one's not good enough i got my greasy witch hands all over it and then i put it back on the pile for the next guy i don't like that i don't i don't like that i don't like other strangers groping fruit and vegetables and then putting them back down for me to pick up i don't understand who does that uh the other thing is the clueless moron with their cart blocking the entire aisle. I don't know who you think you are, but multiple carts and people need to be able to walk through the aisle. These are these morons that have the cart not long ways, but perpendicular sideways blocking the whole aisle. You're trying to get through with the cart. God forbid, God forbid they're not paying attention and you move their cart so you could get through, you get this death stare. It's like, lady, you didn't even buy this stuff yet. It's not even yours. And you're giving me a death stare? No, no, that's on you. But it's always, they always give me a, they're not paying attention at all. I, I reach over and move their cart, and then they look at me like I stole their stuff. You didn't even pay for it yet. That's nobody's stuff, is number one. And number two, be, be aware of your surroundings and not rude to the public and position your cart so other shoppers can get through. Then you have the people. It's like they're reading the Declaration of Independence. They're right where you need to get to grab a box of Wheaties and they're sitting there reading it like it's a dissertation. Hurry up! Or at least if you're not going to hurry up, know somebody else needs to get in and move your ass over. Hate that. Then you have the bad parents who have their kids in there and they're running around like monkeys, climbing on things, knocking stuff over, jumping all over. They're not disciplining them. And I got a problem with that. Teach your kids how to act in public. The flip side of that is every once in a while, you'll see some parent literally beating the crap out of a kid like more than a little spanking. I've seen this multiple times where somebody's literally beating the crap out of their kid in the grocery store to where it crosses the line where you're not comfortable anymore that this is just like a little spanking. Either one of those spectrums are, are inappropriate. Control your kids. Then you have the, the sly person who gets like something that's not in a container and they slowly eat it while they're shopping and then they, oh, oh I then they don't pay for it because they ate it while they were shopping. Yeah, that's a really fancy trick you think nobody else is noticing. 
Then you have the lazy dropper, the people who like get something and then they're in another section of the store and they realize they don't want it anymore. So instead of going back to the freezer department and putting it back, they just throw it where it doesn't belong. How lazy are you? If you don't want it, go back to where you got it from and put it back. That's the right thing to do. Then you have the meat counter, like the fish and deli section, and there's like an order and a line of first come, first serve. And there's always like some person who looks like they have more money than you, who acts like they don't have to pay attention to the line or the order, but they play it off like they didn't know that. So they walk in front of you and start trying to get their stuff, and they think you don't notice, and they play dumb like they don't know there's a line and people waiting. I hate people like that. I see it every time I go. So, so that doesn't even cover the worst part, which is all the dumb shit people do when they're checking out. Okay, so then you have the express line rule breaker. If it says 10 items or less, these people got 30 items. You're a jerk. You're bad for society. We can't operate a functional society when everybody doesn't just help out and follow the rules. You're no better or fancier than anybody else. If you have more than 10 items, get in a regular line. Then you have the self-checkout people uh, where they want to use self-checkout, but they don't know how to use self-checkout. So then you're behind them and it takes 20 minutes. Again, if you are too dumb to understand you need to scan a barcode under the laser, you need to get in the regular line and let people who weren't born in 1908 and know how to work it scan their shit and get out of there. You're an idiot. Then you have the coupon arguer. There's always some cat lady who looks borderline homeless, who's got 80 different coupons in her purse. She's clipping them up at the front. She's arguing with the lady. What do you mean this is expired? It says I get 50 cents off the eggs. They're arguing. The, the, the coupon's not scanning. It's expired. There's always, I always end up behind some coupon lady. And it's always some freaky looking older lady who looks like she has 80 cats as friends and she's she's got all these crinkled up coupons just hurry up and get out of the line then you got the check writer there's all i'm always buying somebody who's living in 1974 who writes out a check in slow motion to pay for their groceries who it's almost 2020 who writes a check at the counter for groceries I'm always behind this person. Oh, I ran out of space on this line. I better get another check and try it again. Hurry up. Oh, then there's the person who has $250 worth of groceries and they're almost checked out. And then, oh my God, I forgot the milk. And then they either leave and run back to get it or they send their dumb a kid to go get it and it takes 10 minutes. If you're not ready to check out, you're out of the line. You missed your spot. You don't get to hold everybody else up because you forgot something. Not my problem. Inappropriate. And then this is something that's always bothered me. And I'm really good with this. And I wish other people were. If I'm in a line and I have like a cart with 20 or 25 items and there's somebody behind me who literally has like a loaf of bread and a thing of eggs or something, I always say to that person, you know what? You could go ahead of me. I mean, you're only going to take one minute. You have two things. You could go ahead of me. That is just basic, general, common courtesy. 
I always let somebody go if they literally only have like one or two items. Always. And I just think that the whole operation would run smoother if people were that reasonable. I just think it's a jerk move to unload 120 items and make the person wait behind you that has one thing in their hand. Seriously, that's just basic common courtesy to me. You know what else I don't like? When you're checking out, get off your damn cell phone. There's people in line behind you. You're trying to grab your bags, pay, and talk on the phone. Put the phone down for one minute to get done with the checkout quicker. Then have your phone conversation in the parking lot. Again, so you don't hold up the entire operation and think the entire world revolves around you and your phone call. Get out. And then you think when you get out to the parking lot, everything bad's over and then you'd be incorrect. I don't know how lazy you have to be to not just return the car to the, the, the receptacle. I've never understood it. How lazy and inconsiderate of a person are you that you're too lazy to walk 30 feet from your car and return the cart to the, to the rack and make it easier on other shoppers and the workers make a minimum wage that have to wrangle all these carts. It amazes me how lazy and inconsiderate Americans are when it comes to this basic social decorum when it comes to grocery shopping. It is not that much to ask. It just isn't. Be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of other people. Be considerate. Be respectful. Grocery stores are, are just a magnet for all these people that have no regard for any of the things I just talked about. It's disgusting. Really, next time you go shopping, look for all the things I mentioned. You'll see all of them. So, so that's it. That's my always annoyed as far as shopping goes. I just despise it. I will try and shop it off times at like midnight or 11 o'clock or early in the morning or just non-peak time. But the problem with that is if you go at 11 or 12 at night, then there's usually only one checker open. So then everybody with my idea ends up in a big line anyways because there's only one thing open. So you don't, you can't really always win doing that either. But at least there's less people in the aisles and clogging you up and walking slow, blocking everything. So I, I don't know. These are just things I notice. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just out on an island by myself. But take a look next time you go grocery shopping. All these things are absolutely ridiculous and they shouldn't be happening. We can't run a functioning society this way. Be respectful of your surroundings and other people. All right. That's it. I, I don't know what to expect from Duke. Anything can happen. After Michigan, anything's on the table. With the offensive inefficiency, anything's on the table. So take nothing for granted and just hope you can find a way to get by uh, Zion and Duke. I, I don't know what to tell you. We'll talk next week.